Hey, if you've got your Bibles, uh, take them and turn to Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 23. We spent some time there last week. We're going to look at it again today. Uh, we're in the second week of this series called Not a Fan, uh, inspired based on a book called Not a Fan. I'd encourage you to check it out. You can get it at your favorite online site or bookstore. Uh, you know, you get some extra credit if you go out and do this on your own. But going through this series, Not a Fan, we're talking about the difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we defined last week, you know, there is a difference. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. You know, fans cheer, uh, fans spectate, fans sit at a distance. You know, we've got a lot of fans in our American churches today, and Jesus wasn't really into fans. But it all changes with followers. You know, that's a different story. Followers are completely committed. You know, followers get in the game. Followers play an active part in the story. Jesus never invited anyone to be a fan. He only invited people to follow him. And that's true 2,000 years ago. And again, it's still true today. Now, last week we talked about the DTR conversation. All right, you know what I'm talking about? It's that important, critical conversation uh, that comes up in every romantic relationship at some point. It's the define the relationship conversation. You know, it's imminent. Some people run from it, you know, but others are, are ready for it. It's where you decide who's in and where this thing's going, you know, and if there's a future to all of this. Well, my challenge for you, but it, it's a challenge for me to in this, is to have that sort of conversation in your life to define the relationship that you have going on with Jesus. Just to kind of define where you are right now. I mean, what are you in it for? What is it that you expect from him? And how do you understand what he expects of you? And where do you see it going? And how you answer these questions uh, along the way will give you a little bit more understanding of how you're doing with these fan tendencies or these follower tendencies in your life. But again, remember, Jesus doesn't call us to be fans. He calls us to be fully sold out followers. And Jesus challenged the people of the New Testament to define the relationship over and over again. And it wasn't uncommon for great crowds to come around him and to follow him because of his teaching. And on more than one occasion, Jesus drew a line in the sand. He says, hey, you got to make up your mind what you're in this for. Are you following me around because you really enjoy the show? Or are you truly interested in being one of my disciples? You know, Jesus knew he had a lot of fans, a lot of enthusiastic admirers, but again, he wasn't that interested in fans. Now, it's not that fans don't matter to him. I mean, that, that's not the issue. It, it's not that fans don't want to have a relationship with Jesus either. I mean, it's just that most fans want to have a relationship with Jesus on their terms. Like, here's how it works for me. This keeps me comfortable. This doesn't move me out of my comfort zone too much. Now, what what kind of relationship do you want to have with Jesus? I mean, what is it that you expect of Him? And how do you understand what it is that He expects uh, of you? Um, There's a sign that, if you've ever watched football before, maybe you've seen this sign. You know, it goes up in the crowd. You know what I'm talking about, right? We all know this verse. I mean, this is probably one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture. Most people have a good idea of what it means or what it says. Now, what I don't know or what recall or what I or I don't recall is I I don't know if I see this a lot in football games anymore. Do we? I, I I mean, it seems like when I was a kid, you'd see this all the time. You'd see it when a kicker was getting ready to kick an extra point or a field goal that there was that one guy that just happened to get a seat in the middle, you know, of the uprights. And so on national television, you know, you got John three sixteen going up in the air now. If you're a Christian, what makes that really challenging is when it's your team, all right? And it's your kicker, and it's a critical field goal. I mean, we love the message of John three sixteen, but if Vanderjack is kicking and you need him to make the field goal, you get a little nervous about the sign. 
wine, you know, being thrown around in the air. So, you know, but John three sixteen, we all know, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, it's the gospel message. I mean, for us, it's the good news that God loves us, that Jesus died for us, and that you and I can find forgiveness, that we can find eternal life because of what Jesus has done. But who's ever seen anyone holding up a sign with this scripture on it? Luke nine twenty three. Have you ever seen this one in the crowd? I, I don't think this one is as popular. I mean, you know, Jesus said it. I mean, these are he, his words, but, but we don't choose, you know, these words for a sign at a football game. You know, and, and in fact, what's interesting is that while John 3.16 is found in the Gospel of John, one place in the Gospels, I mean, this verse, you know, Jesus spoke these words. You can find them at three different occasions, three of the different Gospels. You know, Jesus speaking of Luke 9.23, which says, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, who is this all that Jesus is referring to? Well, he's talking to his disciples, all right? He's talking to the inner core, you know, those 12. And with these words, Jesus once again reminds them that there is a cost to be one of his disciples. And while the term Christian had not been used yet uh, at this point in history, Jesus is basically saying, hey, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it means to be one of my followers. It's surrender. It's all out self-denial. It's submission. It's humility. And and Jesus says, take up my cross. We talked about that a little bit last week. He says, you know, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, we like to look at the cross and think, well, that's a really beautiful symbol and everything. But for People 2,000 years ago, you know, the cross represented death and tragedy and punishment and humiliation and execution. And Jesus says, you know, following me to be a Christian means that you would give your life, that you would give your physical life for your faith, but more importantly, for me. I mean, it doesn't have the same appeal, the same ring to it as John 3.16, does it? I mean, you can, you can see why we, we don't advertise that quite as much. But the truth is that John 3.16 and Luke 9.23 have to go together for us to better understand the life that Jesus calls us to. Now, that life that he calls us to, that he's describing here in Luke 9.23, it's not just for those who want to go overboard in their faith. All right, and this isn't just for seminary students or for people who have their minds set on being a pastor or, or being a missionary or something. I mean, this is for everyone. Jesus says, this is what it means to be one of my children, to be one of my followers, to be a Christian. And our understanding of words like these and how we respond to them, well, again, it just says a lot about how we're doing in this whole fan to follow or continuum. I mean, where we fall along the lines. Now, don't miss the beauty of the invitation. Right? I mean, Jesus isn't trying to guilt anyone into this invitation to follow him. I mean, this invitation is really, really good. And, and why do we follow? Why go? Why surrender? Because our God, the creator of all things, loved us so much. He loved you so much that he was willing to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you could have life and forgiveness and never again be the same. And how do you not respond to an invitation like that? I mean, when you, when you experience that forgiveness in your life, I mean, how do we not respond to such an important message? And who's that invitation for? I mean, who does Jesus invite to this new redeemed life? Well, the answer is found right there in Luke nine twenty three. It says, then he said to them all, if who? Anyone. Jesus says, if anyone. And when it comes to my followers, when it comes to my children, when it comes to those who can find forgiveness, Jesus says, it's anyone. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Anyone means anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. Jesus says anyone can come. My love and my forgiveness is available to anyone. Uh, Anyone can follow me. 
anyone is welcome. Now, depending on your experience with church or other Christians or other people, you know, your impressions, you know, you might think this or you might look at something like this and say to yourself, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, there's got to be some fine print, you know, to this. I mean, what do you mean anyone? You know, that's not what I was told or that's not what I heard along the way, that it's not anyone. You know, it's kind of like those, uh, those drug commercials that you see on TV. You know, the drug commercials for allergy medicine. You've got drug commercials for depression. Or my favorite, what, what's this all about? We've got those commercials where the husband and wife are sitting in separate bathtubs out in the front yard, you know? You know, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen those before? I, I don't get it. I mean, I'll, I'm all about setting the mood and everything, but the mood for, that I, you know, isn't about, you know, sitting out in my front yard, you know, in a bathtub or something. But, you know, you, you see these commercials, you know, regardless of what the commercial is about, and it's like a minute for the commercial, for the pill or whatever it is, and then it's like two and a half minutes of the dangers, All right. I mean, you know, we just tried to sell it to you in a minute, but the law requires that for two and a half minutes, we have to tell you why you might grow a third arm if you touch this pill. All right. I mean, you've got to just stay as far away. I mean, the fine print is important, whether it be in a commercial or an advertisement that you see in a magazine. Well, when Jesus said anyone, he meant anyone. I mean, there was no fine print. And when Jesus said anyone 2,000 years ago, the crowds would have looked at him and would have looked at his disciples and his teaching and understood what he meant. I mean, Jesus was a rabbi. Now, he was an unconventional rabbi at that. A a rabbi was a teacher. And and there were many rabbis during these days. And a a rabbi, you know, know, was, again, a great teacher of God's word, which at this point in history consisted of the Old Testament. And it wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to have extensive knowledge of the scriptures, to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, or what we call the Torah, and then to know many of the writings of the prophets. Well, rabbis were also special people because they had, they had a Talmud. And if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, a Talmud was a group of students. It was what it meant to be a follower, to be a disciple. The word Talmud means follower. Basically, rabbis had students. That, that followed them around. And, and, and this was an incredibly exclusive group of students. A, a lot of young men had their sights set on becoming the Talmud or a student of one of the local rabbis. But most people didn't end up as students of a rabbi because they didn't make the cut. I mean, they didn't have what it took. And so you had to be extremely bright. And, and for those that didn't make the cut, you'd go off and you'd end up learning the fa- family trade or the family business. You'd become a fisherman or something like that. And so for those students who wanted to become a a Talmud of a particular rabbi, you had to go through a sort of an application process. And again, this was intense work. There was prerequisites to meet before you'd even be considered as a Talmud. And these qualifications were similar to a certain GPA score, a certain SAT score. It's kind of like if you want to get into Harvard. Now, if you want to get into Harvard, you better have at least a 1400 SAT and you got to have a 4.0 GPA or you're not even going to be considered. And it was the same deal with a Talmud who wanted to become a student of a rabbi. Now, Talmuds had incredible, I mean, the Talmuds that were exclusive and doing well had incredible, impressive knowledge of Scripture. And it wasn't uncommon for a Talmud to memorize an entire book in the Torah. You know, and this was intense. And and again, rabbis had to be thorough and they were committed to excellence. Their reputations were at stake. So they were very careful in their selection of the disciples. And that's the way that it rolled in ancient Israel. I mean, it was a very selective process, but it changed with Jesus. I mean, Jesus just overturned the system, you know, and we we see this in the people that he invited over and over to follow him. The people that he invited to become one of his Talmud, people like Matthew. I mean, Matthew had a past. 
I mean, there was a backstory to Matthew's life. And he had some stains, some junk there. And we can assume that he was a big disappointment to his family and to his friends. And we know this because Matthew had another name. He had a given name, a birth name. His, his birth name was the name Levi. It was the name that his parents had given him. And to be given a name like Levi meant that your parents had great expectations for you. I mean, to be given the name Levi meant that your parents expected that you would grow up, that you would serve the Lord as the Levites did in the Old Testament. Now, the Levites were the priests. And from birth, Levi or Matthew was set aside to become one of these priests, to become a spiritual leader. And and likely his father and grandfather and even the previous generations that all served as priests. And and so here's the way it would roll for Matthew. Probably by the time of age 12, he started applying or going through the motions to become a Talmud of one of the local rabbis. But what happened? Somewhere along the way, he didn't make the cut. He didn't pan out. He didn't have what it took. And so instead of serving the Lord, Matthew started serving himself and he turned his back on his own people and became a tax collector uh, employed by the Roman Empire. And tax collectors took money from the people and tax collectors were hated because they took money from the Jews and they gave that money to the enemy that was Rome. And in those days, there was no such thing as an honest tax collector. And they were considered social and religious outcasts by their own people. Because of this, Matthew was considered ceremonially unclean which meant that he couldn't enter even the outer court of the temple. I mean, this guy had been written off, excommunicated, nothing but a disappointment to his own parents. But Jesus changed that. And one day Jesus stepped into his life and he looked him in the eye and he changed his life with two words the day that he said to Matthew, follow me. Matthew, I'm going to invite you to follow me. And so word starts to get out that this new rabbi, Jesus, is calling followers at random. And so people come from everywhere to hear the teachings of Jesus. But when they looked around and they saw the disciples and they saw him in the face, they must have looked at Jesus and thought, these are your Talmud? These are your students? Rabbis choose the best and the brightest. I mean, you've got fishermen. You've got a tax collector. I mean, he not only sins, but he sins for a living. I I mean, you know what it's like for people to look at you like that? I wonder how many of you have ever been singled out in such a way or felt like you weren't a part of a group or invited to be a part of a group. Now, I remember when uh, we moved from one town to another when I was going into the eighth grade. And for the first years of school, all the way up until the eighth grade, I had gone to a really small private school in a very small town. And then we moved to a different town. My eighth grade year, I went to a big public school. And if you've ever changed schools before, you know that's uh, it's hard. I mean, it's really tough. And I was an odd kid anyways. And so trying to fit in and to make friends and to be accepted, well... Um, I got placed into a level of math that was well beyond where I should be. And math has never been the best subject for me. And just as an encouragement today, I have little to do with the budget here at Genesis. We've got people that got A's in math that do much better than I do. But anyway, so I wasn't doing well in math. And we were only in the first few weeks of school. And I think I had something like a D in math. All right, and I had never had a D before, and so I was already devastated. Well, I was running cross-country at the same time, and I remember when my coach had to sit me down because to have a D meant you were academically ineligible. You couldn't run, and so I had to sit out for a week. I had to miss a couple of races. And it wasn't only humiliating to know that I had the D, but to have the conversation with the coach, but then had to stand with my peers, and, well, they all knew why I wasn't running, you know, when they were running. That was tough. Like I remember what it was like to be single like that, to know that I didn't fit in, that I I hadn't made it, that I didn't make the cut. I wonder if anyone's ever told you that you were ineligible. 
for a church or for God's love or forgiveness because you'd already had it a bunch of times before and how could you ever deserve it again? And if somebody ever told you that you were ineligible, I mean, they were wrong. I mean, Jesus doesn't think twice. I mean, his invitation for life and forgiveness and to be his disciple is for anyone. Jesus says anyone is welcome. And anyone is welcome. Well, that also means that anyone means everyone. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Anyone means everyone. And for those of us that are Christians, we all know that, right? I mean, we know that anyone means everyone. My dad has uh, done a lot of pastoring over the years of his life. He's never done just pastoring. He's always worked another job and worked for the post office and for a college now. But he's pastoring a church right now. But he was telling me recently, and I don't remember this happening, but I wasn't there. But he went to fill in one Sunday morning in a small community, a very small rural church. And it was a church that had one pastor. And so the pastor wants to go on vacation. He's got to find somebody to preach. And so he asked my dad to come. Well, my dad showed up and he was telling me, I showed up that morning. I was walking up the steps to go into the church. And all of a sudden, this man sort of approached me from the side. And he was sort of transient looking, dressed like a homeless man. And, and the guy sort of whispered, Denny, which is my dad's name. Hey, it's such and such. Um, my dad sort of looked at him like, dude, you know, what are you doing? You're supposed to be on vacation. And why are you dressed like this? Well, evidently, he had cooked up this little scheme that he was going to dress as a homeless man, see how people reacted to him all morning, and eventually wandered. Now, I don't know what you do when you go on vacation. Um, I get out of the state, all right? And so I, I, I won't do that here. You know, when I go on vacation, I, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to go take a break. But, but that's what this guy's up to. And so sure enough, like he wandered in during the service. And again, it, it was all part of a scheme that next week he was going to come back and then tell the people, hey, here's how you did. You know what they did? They fired him. I'm serious. It's the truth. My dad told me he he got fired. Now, there was more of a backstory. There were plenty of other things going on, and this this was just kind of the final straw. But for this particular church, like change was tough, and and they didn't like to you know push you know the standards or push their normal way of doing things. And I just think that churches can get stuck. All right, churches can get stuck in traditions, can get stuck into methods to the point that over time, you know, people are worshiping the building or they're worshiping the tradition or the ways of doing things, you know, and change is difficult. I mean, it really is. And because change is difficult, it's not common over time for churches to come up with their own rules or their own standards of ways of doing things. You know, I've been to a bunch of churches in my life. I mean, again, growing up with my dad, preaching in a bunch of different churches, I've been to a bunch of small churches and rural churches and traditional and not-so-traditional churches, and I can appreciate small and traditional churches that are full of good people, you know, and have done some great things over the course of their years and are really trying hard to, to help people find their way back to God. There's some great churches out there, but there are also some churches out there that are just barely hanging on. All right, and, and hanging around. And even as a kid or a teen, it wasn't hard for me to figure out in some of these churches that we visited that there were rules. Like every church has their rules. Like this is how we do things. Like we only do hymns. All right, and they're very strong in that. Or we wouldn't dare allow the drums in our church. Or, you know, the piano has always sat on that side of the stage. Don't you dare move it to the other side of the stage. You know, I mean, it happens. It really does. You know, I mean, at our church, we wear choir robes. Or we always have a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night service. And they never get canceled. And, and, and so every church sort of has these rules. I mean, we're a Bible-believing church, so we only read the King James Version. You know, and, and for some people, you know, their church, their building, their traditions, their ways of doing things, well, they can become like idols you know and god has something to say about idols the idols that we elevate in our life because there's only one who deserves to be elevated and that's the name of jesus christ 
And so again, these methods, these ways of doing things, if we're not careful, they can become like standard practice or, you know, this is how we do it or these are our unwritten rules and, and this is the right way of doing things. And when you do that, it doesn't take long before you start qualifying or disqualifying those that are welcome, those that are allowed to come. You know, and I wonder if Jesus knew and realized this when he said in Luke 9, 23, hey, there are no longer any qualifications. Anyone is invited to come. And so Jesus did away with the qualifications. He did away with the prerequisites. He did away with the process. Now, again, if you've, and I I suppose this, if you've visited any number of churches, you know that every church has a dress code, you know, right? I mean, we sort of have one here, you know, I mean, you kind of do the jeans thing or, you know, and, and every church has a certain political kind of lean maybe, you know, that you've been to or whatever. I mean, we've all got these places, you know, maybe certain churches have statements regarding the use of alcohol or the music that you listen to, or you just kind of have this feeling when you go into some places that you've kind of sort of got to make this amount of money to really feel. And now we bring some of that on in ourselves, but again, there are sort of these unwritten rules. Now, Here's what I guess I'm just trying to say. You know, Genesis is still a really young church. I mean, we really are. And and as I was thinking about these unwritten codes and qualifications that kind of rise to the surface in some churches, I was encouraged because I don't think we have many. I really don't. I mean, we probably have more than we realize. And one of the things that I love about this church is we work really hard to make sure that anyone is welcome here. And I hope that you've experienced that in coming. You can come here no matter where you are or where you're from, and you can feel welcome here. But again, here's what I'm just trying to say. I think the danger that we face is that as we grow, as we get older, as we so-called matured, when you have a mission like helping people find a way back to God, it's easy to start out strong and enthusiastic and committed to your mission. But what happens when your church actually starts growing? And what happens when all of a sudden it's a little more difficult to find a parking spot than it used to be? Or you look around and you don't see as many familiar faces as you used to. I mean, what happens when these things come up or when your pastors or your connection group leader doesn't seem to respond quite as quickly as they used to to some of your needs? I mean, I'm just saying that the temptation will be that when you have a mission statement like helping people find their way back to God, that we might come to a place one day where somebody will ask, well, haven't we done enough already? I mean, can't we just be content with what we have? And when that happens, you know, and, and churches give way for this to rule and to kind of set the course for the way that you do things, I just think it doesn't take long before you start disqualifying people for coming. Hey, I'm encouraged because I don't think this is who we are. I really don't. And I don't think any one of us wants this. But I think we need to do well to keep our eyes focused on Him to hold each other accountable, to be reminded of why we do what we do. In this attitude that in anyone means everyone, that we're never done, that growing together as his disciples, as his followers, but living with this urgency that the work is never done. There's always more to do. I remember a pastor saying recently that healthiest churches in America today are those who practice generosity and an all-out intensity for reaching lost people. So anyone means everyone. The third thing is that no qualifications means no excuses. Jesus says there are no qualifications, so no excuses. You know, when Jesus invites anyone to follow him, he's not only breaking down the barriers that prevent people from coming, but he's removing the excuses that keep you from following. You know, 2,000 years ago, the fisherman no longer had an excuse. You know, the tax collector no longer had an excuse. The mom of three no longer had an excuse that she wasn't invited to follow a rabbi. What's been your excuse? I mean, what's, what's keeping you from following Jesus? What's keeping you from going all in? I mean, what's really keeping you from trusting Him with all things? Now, some will say, you know what, I've got a past. 
You know, you have no idea what I've done with my past or what I bring with me. And maybe it's baggage from an addiction, maybe the baggage from a divorce, you know, maybe the baggage from a financial trouble. You know, maybe that's been your excuse. And, and it's easy to hide behind events like these. And, and it's hard to argue with someone who's endured a tragedy or gone through an emotionally really difficult time. But Jesus removes the excuses for us. He throws them all out. He gets rid of them all when he says anyone can come. Who can have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who can follow? Jesus says anyone. Anyone can come. Well, what about if I have a sexual past? You know, an affair or have been involved with pornography. Jesus says anyone. Anyone can come. Well, you know, I'm an ex-con or I've been in and out of a recovery program. Jesus says, you know what, anyone can come. Well, I was recently divorced and, you know, I got kicked out of another church. Jesus says, anyone. Anyone is invited to come. Well, I had an abortion. Jesus says, anyone. Uh, I'm an alcoholic or a pothead or, you know, I'm nothing but a self-proclaimed or proclaimed by others disappointment. Jesus says anyone. And you and I just have to understand what it means as a church to embrace this truth that the gospel is for anyone. Because if we proclaim that it's for anyone, then things can get a little messy. They really can. And all of a sudden, if your church starts filling up with a bunch of unchurched people, it'll make some people uncomfortable. And it can lead some people to the point where they'll just say, well, they must be watering down the message there, or they're not really teaching biblical truth. But if we really think the message of the gospel is that good and that anyone can come, we're going to be forced to keep our unwritten codes and our, our, our rules and attitudes in check. And it's going to push every single one of us out of our comfort zones, you know, and maybe into circles to rub shoulders with those that we wouldn't normally walk with. You know, it'll mean getting, you know, in the game and, and finding a place to serve. It, it might mean, you know, you know, you know saying, you know, I, I, I've been attending this popular hour of worship, but I need to give up my seat for someone else. It might mean going and being a part of our Carmel launch team or sacrificing something that you've got your heart set on financially because you want to give it to someone that you love even more. Now, some might be thinking, well, we can't just let anyone and everyone and start tolerating everything around here. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we tolerate sin or condone sinful actions in any way. I believe the Word of God is true, and it is perfect, and it is right, and it is useful for so many things. And when a person becomes a Christian, it's right that they understand what God's Word means for our lives. I mean, when Jesus asks us to follow Him, He's asking us to leave our sin behind, you know, to, to get away from that sin that so easily entangles us, and to start looking ahead, to start looking to our life with Him. But when Jesus invites anyone, He means anyone. You know, there's room at the cross of Jesus Christ for anyone. I mean, there's plenty of room there. Now, fans don't know how to handle a message like that. That's, that's uncomfortable. But followers say, I'm in, and I get it. And they put up with the stories, and they listen to those stories of brokenness. And then when one life is changed forever, they throw a party. Because one soul has been found. The last thing is, and this is quick, and this is a critical one, but it's fast. Um, for those of you that are searching... Maybe you're a brand new Christian or maybe you've been a part of church for your whole life. It's this. It's anyone, but it's everything. And Jesus says to us, I mean, it's anyone. Anyone can come. But as you come, it means everything. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this is a confusing verse because you look at it and you think, Really? Jesus wants me to hate my mama? Like, no, that's not what he's getting at, all right? 
I mean, this would go against everything that the scriptures teach about honoring your parents and loving your spouse and caring for your children. But Jesus is using very strong words here to make a very strong point. He's saying that when it comes to your love and the love that you have for your spouse and your parents and your children, your love and your commitment to me should still be greater. And, and, and that's the way it worked. I mean, when a Talmud was finally accepted and went to follow a rabbi, they would leave their homes, they would leave their jobs, they would leave their family, whatever was holding them back, and they would go and they would follow the rabbi. I mean, they would literally go with the rabbi wherever he went. And sometimes the parents didn't approve. And when a student went anyways, in that particular culture, it was like saying to your parents, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. Now to follow the rabbi Jesus it came with an even greater cost. Because if the rabbi decided to live without a home, the students became homeless. And when the rabbi decided to go and hang out with the sinners and the public outcasts, the student went too. And when Jesus decided to stand and face persecution face to face, the student would stand as well. And this is the life that we're invited into. You know, it's an open invitation. Again, not an invitation motivated by guilt, It's an invitation motivated by His great love for us that anyone can come, anyone's invited. How about you? Will you stand with Jesus? Let's pray. God, I thank You for this time together today and we thank You for uh, these tough words and maybe for some tough consideration, some tough evaluation in our own lives, God, as we think about our relationship with You and what it is that we've been expecting or wanting. But God, that that would begin to turn to understand more what it is that you want from us and what you expect from us as your children. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, I I pray even for my own life and my own heart. I know that I have these fan tendencies in me. And God, I pray that you would open me up to your spirit and your work in me, that you would remove those things that need to go so that I can follow you with a completely committed heart. And I pray for others that are here today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I mean, maybe that's where you are right now is, you know, you, you are following Jesus. You are doing everything that you can to follow him. But you know that there are some things that are holding you back. And if there's something that's holding you back today and you want to acknowledge that as a way of making it your prayer, that you want to be fully sold out to Jesus, maybe just slip your hand up where you are right now. Just as a way of saying, hey, will you pray for me today? I want more of Jesus in my life. I want to follow him. Thank you for that hand there. And pray this prayer with me. God, I I thank you for these prayers offered up to you for every heart and every life. God, that it would be our desire, every single one of us, to be fully sold out, completely committed to you. Show us what that looks like, God. Show us what needs to change or what needs to be removed today so that we can take one more step in our relationship with you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that he died for every one of us. God, I pray that we'd be motivated by that love to want to surrender all that we have and that would become our church and be our church and the church today and the church tomorrow. And as you lead us and in all things that we do, sold out to you, growing in you, completely committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God, I want to lift up those that are here today. And before we end, just want to recognize that some of you are here today and you've disqualified yourself are self-declared ineligible for the love of Jesus Christ in your life. And I don't know who left you with that impression or when you started believing that lie, but I am praying that the Spirit is opening up your heart today to know and to understand that the invitation from Christ for forgiveness in life is open to anyone 
and it might just be open for somebody here today. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and want to do that today, just slip your hand up where you are. Nobody's looking around. You don't have to be ashamed in that. But just as a way of saying, I need Jesus Christ. I want him in my life. You can pray this prayer with me. Lord God, I need you. Thank you for Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Let your change begin in me today. Never again the same. Eyes always focused on Jesus. God, we thank you for your invitation to us all. May the work that you've started or continue in us today will keep going as we walk out of this room now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.